Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. I'm delighted to welcome as today's guest Dr. Susan Main, professor of epidemiology and division head of chronic disease epidemiology at the Yale School of Public Health, where she also serves as associate director of the Yale Comprehensive Cancer Center. One of the nation's leading nutrition experts, Susan Main, has served on a variety of, of important uh, panels and, and, um, and committees, including the Food and Nutrition Board of the National Academy of Sciences, and also served on the Board of Scientific Counselors for the U.S. National Cancer Institute. Susan, glad to have you here. I'm pleased to be here. Thank you. So you've done, you've done work on so many interesting aspects of nutrition, it's almost hard to pick where to start. But today we're going to talk about how you measure what people eat. And it may not sound at first glance like that's a, an, a jazzy thing to talk about, but it's really important. So tell us first why it's important, then we'll get into the nuts and bolts of some of the, the interesting research that you've done. Okay. So um, I'm an epidemiologist, and what that means is we study what causes chronic diseases, in my case, a chronic disease epidemiologist. We study what causes chronic diseases in populations. And in order for us to evaluate the role that diet and nutrition play, we have to have some way of measuring it. And so for our research, we need tools, we need techniques. And the better able that we are to measure intake, the better we can link that to chronic disease risk. And I think everybody knows, I mean, it's common knowledge that diet is an important predictor of things like heart disease and cancer. But inevitably, we get some studies that find a link and then another study that doesn't find the link. And we get kinds of inconsistencies in the literature. And we believe that some of those inconsistencies are just due to difficulties in trying to measure diet in the first place. And so a new area of research is really looking more carefully at how we measure diet and how we can do better to do better research on nutrition and disease prevention. So why can't you just ask people what they're eating and that find that information useful in the studies that one might do? Yeah, so typically that's what researchers do. And we, we go to people and we interview them and we ask them to characterize their usual intake. And for the kinds of work that I do, which is chronic disease research, we're not interested in what they ate yesterday. We're interested in what they've been eating usually characteristically over their usual adult lifetime. So that's a hard thing to do. And so we ask people to characterize and tell us what types of foods and how frequently they commonly consume those foods. And that's what we call self-report. And it's the method that we've used historically for years and years and years to evaluate the role of diet and chronic disease. But the problem is we've recognized increasingly that there are errors and that people have a hard time reporting what they eat. Sometimes people will you know, purposely misrepresent what they're eating for various reasons. So it's made the field of research rather challenging to use self-reported intake data, which we know has errors, and try to link that with disease risk. Are there consistent errors? Like does, does it, if everybody underestimated something by 25%, you could just correct for that when you do the research. Is that the case? Yeah, so it would be really nice if everybody reported consistently. And what newer research has indicated using what we call objective indicators, uh, we can use those objective indicators to try to assess how accurate is reporting of dietary intake data. And what we've learned over the last five to 10 years is that not everybody reports equally. And we see differences by men and women. We see differences especially by uh, obesity status. So it really complicates the research if not everybody reports equally and some of the factors that determine reporting are linked themselves with chronic disease risk. So when you mention objective indicators, what would some examples of that be? 
So the, the best objective indicators we have are for things like calorie intake and protein intake. So we have new methodologies to, in a research setting, try to figure out exactly what calorie intake people are having and how that compares to self-report. It's called doubly labeled water, and it's essentially using isotopically labeled water in a very controlled metabolic setting to look at intake. And in a controlled setting like that, we can then compare that to what people have reported. That's what we would call an objective indicator. Okay, so you've done some really groundbreaking research on um, objective indicators of fruit and vegetable intake in particular. Can you explain why, what got you started on that particular issue? And then we can get into the details of what you've done. Yeah, so I have been working with uh, fruits and vegetables as a class of, nu- the class of foods and the nutrients that they contain because they have been so strongly linked with reduced risk of chronic disease. So the, the fruits and vegetables we know reduce your risk of many different conditions, cancer, heart disease, et cetera. And so one of our interests has been to carefully evaluate that association between fruit and vegetable intake and disease risk. But again, we have this, this issue of reporting. Uh, can people accurately report how many servings a day of fruits and vegetables they've consumed? So the alternative approach that many of us are using now is to measure nutrient levels that are, are in the body, and they're there because people have consumed fruits and vegetables that contain those nutrients. Historically, we've used blood samples, and we can obtain blood samples from people, and we can measure nutrient levels in those blood samples. Uh, that's been how we've done it for a long time, but the field is moving in a new direction, and some of our most recent work is looking at methodologies that are non-invasive, where we don't have to get blood. Can we measure nutrient levels in skin with light, for example? So my most recent research is using newer methodologies, high-tech methods, to try to measure nutrient levels so that we can do a better job of assessing the relationship between fruit and vegetable intake and health. Well, this work is very exciting and, and as I said, groundbreaking in a way because if there becomes a, a portable, inexpensive method that one can use out in the field to measure what people have actually eaten. It could take research a long way ahead from where it is now. So can you explain the particular device that you've been using and and what it measures and how? Yeah, so the device we're currently studying uses a light um, at a specific wavelength that is then used to assess nutrient levels of a particular type of nutrient called carotenoids that are, are found in the skin. Um, We have recently done some studies both in adults and in children, and we can measure these nutrients in the skin non-invasively as a, a, a rapid objective indicator of nutrition status. And at this point, we're using it in a research setting, but our goal is at some point in the future to be able to use this in public health surveillance. So, for example, just like we measure cholesterol levels now as an indicator of, of health status, with cholesterol being related to both diet and to uh, disease risk, we're hoping to do that with some other nutrients that we can measure non-invasively. So the, the pictures that you've shown of this device show a you know, a little plastic thing connected to a computer by wires that just goes on the palm of the hand or some other part of the body. And so when you say non-invasive, I mean, that means it doesn't hurt. It just takes a short time and 
you get this this interesting measure of fruit and vegetable intake. That's correct. And so kind of analogous to what people are getting more comfortable with in a health fair setting, people could come in, in 30 seconds we could give them a measure and know something about their nutritional status. That, again, if we can show that it predicts future risk of chronic disease, we could use that in our public health surveillance and hopefully give people feedback about where they are with regard to their nutritional status and what that means in terms of future risk of disease. And you've done some interesting work with both adults and children using this. Could you explain some of the work you've done with children? Yeah, our interest in getting into populations of children is largely due to the challenges in trying to measure diet in kids. And the the kids that we have been working with are in the preschool age population. And these are kids uh, age three to five largely that we have been studying. And the issue with children is that they're not with their parents full-time, they're not with the teachers full-time, and so really nobody knows what kids are eating. And the teachers can't report, the parents can't report, and kids are unreliable in reporting on their own dietary intake until they're about age 12 or so. So in the setting of children's research on nutrition and health, it's very difficult to know how diet relates to uh, health in kids. So using non-invasive, objective indicators of nutrition status would really help move the research field forward in terms of children's health. All right. And so you've done some work with large groups of children and have found that this measurement technique works quite well with them. Yeah, so we have been studying uh, preschool kids, and uh, in our most recent study, we worked with 400 preschool children and looked at both this non-invasive method of assessing nutritional status and how it related to what parents could report in terms of what their children were eating. When you were mentioning that this could be used for surveillance in a public health context, This thought came into my mind that maybe down the road somewhere it could also be very nicely used as a public health intervention. I mean, just think of a pharmacy, for example, that has one of these in, like they do blood pressure cuffs, and somebody could sit down and measure their fruit and vegetable intake, get some printout or a screen that says how much of it they've had, and they might find that they're lower than they think, and that might motivate them to eat fruit and vegetables. Is that I know that's a that's a way off because you're just now perfecting the measurement, but does that make sense that something like that could ever be done? Well, I think that's certainly the goal, and it's consistent with what's happening in nutrition as a whole, and that is you know, we're, we're trying to move into a more personalized model of nutrition, and so if we can give feedback to individuals about where they really are and what they should be doing to improve their nutrition status, I think that would be wonderful. I mean, it's one thing to give general dietary guidance to a population. It's another to go to somebody and say, you know, look, you know, we're concerned about you. Your specific nutrient levels are really low here. We'd like you to target this for intervention. And and if you think about it, this is not a new model in nutrition. So the technology that allowed us to measure bone mineral density now has been put into a public health model. Women are screened for their bone mineral density. Uh, Once they reach menopause, women are advised to intervene with calcium supplements or things like that once they hit that age if their bone mineral density is low. So it's a similar model to what we're doing in this case, but it's just looking at nutrients rather than at bone mineral density and using technologies as has been used with bone mineral density measurements. Here's my final question. I'd like to ask the following. If you have, um, this is very important for researchers who want to study dietary intake, but the implication of this go go far beyond that. 
And if you think about the importance of dietary advice that people get, how much of this they should eat or how much of that they eat, it really rests on adequate, a good, accurate assessment of these sort of things. So maybe if you wouldn't mind just commenting on the, the big picture of this, how, how, how many people are affected by, that, by this kind of thing and how the government derives its advice for things like diet and health and where this, this particular assessment or this kind of thing in general might fit in. Yeah, so from the, the big picture point of view, most of the science we have on diet and health comes from self-report measures. And even with all the errors and even with all the inaccuracies, diet is still an important predictor of health status. And so what we know from the types of work that, that I do is the better we measure it, the more predictive it becomes. So it may be that studies have not linked nutrition to certain diseases as strongly as really the, the association truly exists. So from the big picture point of view, better measures lead to better science and gives us better guidance. So that's the first part of it, which is the population level. The second one is the individual level. So it's one thing for a public health organization to tell you you need to eat five to nine servings of fruits and vegetables a day. It's another thing if you go in and you get your levels measured and they tell you you're in the bottom 10 percentile of these nutrients in your skin. I think people are more likely to resonate with that type of a personalized, targeted nutrition message, and hopefully that will help guide improvements in diet at the personal level based upon good science at the population level. Good. Well, thank you for sharing this important work with us. I appreciate you being here today. Thanks for inviting me. So our guest today was Dr. Susan Main, Professor of Epidemiology and Division Head of Chronic Disease Epidemiology at the Yale School of Public Health. Uh, please visit our website at www.yalerudcenter.org for a variety of resources, including a free email newsletter, um, a list of other podcasts that we've recorded, and additional information on food and food policy. Thank you.